Hi, this is John from Prodigal Church. We want to thank you for listening to this week's teaching. The best way to watch and listen is through our Prodigal mobile app, available at your app store. We hope you are moved to love God and others in a greater way. Now, let's dive right into this week's teaching. Easter is only two weeks away, and we can't wait to celebrate the resurrection with you and your family. And we're going to need your help to pull this off. And so would you consider signing up to volunteer at one of our two Easter services? Uh, you can head to our website, prodigalchurchfresno.com, click on Easter and scroll down to see the various areas and ministries where you can be a great blessing to us and to this community. And so there's areas where you can serve in kids ministry or a setup or teardown or hospitality. Um, and so we want Prodigal Church to be the most welcoming, loving place on Easter morning. And so would you help us do that? We can't wait to celebrate together. We are in week two of our series, Dawn is Coming. And uh, next week we'll be focusing in on Holy Week as, as it starts with Pastor Jonathan Martin speaking and, and then we'll go to Good Friday. And on Good Friday, he, that's when Jesus was crucified. His disciples who had followed him for the past three years, they're crushed. They witness his death. They're in despair. They're in disarray. They're in doubt. They are in distress. But there's nothing but death on Friday. And then on Saturday, there is nothing but silence. And then Sunday came and the tomb was empty. More on that in a couple of weeks. And now when Jesus is resurrected, the disciples are mostly overjoyed. Now you might be thinking, mostly overjoyed? That, that they were in dismay and disarray and despair and doubt and then Jesus is resurrected and then they're mostly overjoyed? Well, yes. Uh, they're mostly overjoyed because just before the Great Commission, just before Jesus says to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and Jesus ascends in heaven, just before this, uh, Matthew writes this in Matthew 28, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. What? Some doubted? Why would Matthew, the author of this gospel, include this, right? If, your point of, if the point of the book is to declare that Jesus is the Messiah, the, the King, the long-awaited Savior of the world, and the one everyone's been waiting for, and why when you reach the crescendo of the story, you include this line about people doubting it? His own 12 doubting it. Doesn't that ruin the moment? Doesn't this undermine everything that you've said up to this point in the story? When Matthew tells us that some of Jesus' followers had doubted, doesn't this undermine the story or is this the exact kind of honesty that we would find because it reflects how people actually are? The text says that they worshiped, but some doubted. The they and the some are the same people. The doubters were among the worshipers and the worshipers were among the doubters. Did you know that you can worship Jesus and doubt Jesus at the exact same time? Some of you may be encountering that just this, this morning. Uh, but it is true. When John Kavanaugh, a, a, a renowned ethicist, went to live among uh, Mother Teresa on the streets of Calcutta at the House of the Dying, he was seeking a clear answer for direction in his life. And on the first morning, he met Mother Teresa. 
And she said, in just the sweetest voice, what can I do for you? And Kavanaugh asked her to pray for him. And she says, what can I pray for you about? And he says, pray that I have clarity. And immediately, Mother Teresa says in a rebuke, I will not do that. And he's kind of taken back by this. And she said, clarity is the last thing that you are clinging to and that you must let go of. When Kavanaugh responded by saying that he has seen clarity in the life of Mother Teresa, that she has the clarity that he is longing for, she laughed and she said, no, 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 I don't have clarity. I have trust. So I will pray that you trust God. If the disciples of Jesus, after the resurrection, had doubts, I think it's okay if we do 2,000 years later. Doubt is a part of the human condition. Part of what it means to be human is that there is no escape from doubt. When I got married, there was no doubt-free guarantee that it was the right decision. I thought it was the right decision. I knew that I married up, right? Uh, because my wife Sarah told me that I married up. No, uh, all men marry up. But I, there was no guarantee that this was going to work out. Many of you ask me, when did you know for sure? When did you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Sarah was the one for you? And I always have the same very unromantic answer, a very unspiritual answer. It wasn't that God showed up in a dream and told me that Sarah was the one or that when our hands first touched, I knew she was going to be my wife. No, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt she was going to be my wife when I said I do before God and my family and friends. If you want a doubt-free existence, you chose the wrong species to be a part of. There's this, there is this story in the book of Ezra in the Old Testament. And we're going to read chapter 8, um, just a few verses, and just kind of set the stage. But... Uh, the people of God are moving back towards Jerusalem and God has been doing this amazing kind of revival led by the priest Ezra and he's leading the people back to the city of Jerusalem to kind of restore the name of their God. And we see this in verse 21. There by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all of our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this and he answered our prayer. So Ezra is leading this amazing procession, this revival back to Jerusalem and he asked the king of Persia, Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes to, to, to leave. He, he needs permission to go. And Israel was the, Jerusalem was the, the capital of Israel, was the spiritual capital. They wanted the name of God to be restored. So he says to the king, the gracious hand of God is upon us. And uh, we don't need your mighty army to protect us on the journey. But then here, as they begin the journey, it's at the Ahava Canal, Ezra proclaims a fast and he petitions God that he would protect them. The text says, Ezra was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers because he had already told the king God would protect us. So he proclaims a fast. This is faith 
and doubt in action, and they collide at the Ahava Canal. Not that one would win over the other, but that they both existed together, and they met at that canal. And the word Ahava is the Hebrew word for love. God answers and moves in the midst of our doubt at the Ahava canals in our own lives, the place where faith and doubt meet, collide in a, a relationship, not so much a conflict. God is present among your doubts. It is okay to doubt God. We've all had doubts. I remember doubting God when I was younger. When I first became a Christian, I was, I was so zealous. I was so zealous for God. I remember laying on my bed and no one was around and, and I kind of began to have a little bit of doubt that, hey, this Jesus thing that I'm kind of hopping in on and kind of giving and throwing myself into, is it all real? And so it was just me, God, I was sitting on my bunk bed. Me and my twin brother had bunk beds all throughout high school. And I was sitting on my bunk bed, no one was around. And I said, God, could you just lift up that alarm clock? This was before cell phones, but we used to have these things called alarm clocks. And I was like, God, just lift up the alarm clock real quick. You don't even, maybe, don't even lift it off the, the nightstand. Maybe just shake it a little bit. Just, just shake it real fast, God. And uh, nothing happened, right? God didn't answer my request to move supernaturally the alarm clock. And later that year in winter, I, I, I really, I believed again in this band called Audio Adrenaline. How many 90s youth group kids loved Audio Adrenaline, okay? There's this song by Audio Adrenaline in their In Bloom album. And the line said this, if I keep my eyes on Jesus, I can walk on water. And there's this story in the gospels where Peter's looking at Jesus and he's going out onto the water and walking on water. And then he looks around and he begins to sink when he takes his eyes off of Jesus. And then the, the chorus of the song, if I keep my eyes on Jesus, I can walk on water. And so in that moment, I was just filled with this faith that if I kept my eyes on him, I could, I could do anything. I could walk on water. So I go outside. I go to the backyard of my parents' house and they have a swimming pool. And I kept my metaphorical eyes on Jesus and I took a leap of faith and I took a step. And as I stepped, I did not walk on water. I fell right in. And... It's pretty demoralizing to come up out of the water after you thought you were gonna walk on it. It's even more demoralizing that it's winter and I'm 15 years old and I go back into the house. My mom sees me soaking wet and she's like, what happened? And it's like, I fell in. Doubt was so much a part of what happened in my backyard all those years ago. And doubt was just as much a part of it as faith was. This is Ezra. He didn't trust what he proclaimed to be true. And the people of God didn't rub it in his face. They didn't say, Ezra, didn't you proclaim that we didn't really need protection from the king, that God's gonna protect us? And now you're scared that God won't protect us? Ezra, you're supposed to be a priest. You're supposed to be a holy man. You're supposed to be the one leading the way, having the most faith. And now you're proclaiming a fast because you're a little bit scared? And not only that, you're doubting the very things that you proclaim to be true about God, that he would protect us. No, that's not what happened. They didn't give him a hard time. No, they were merciful towards him. Memorize this verse, Jude, verse 22. Be merciful to those who doubt. Yes, prodigal church, be merciful to those who doubt. 
We, are, we, are, we proclaim that we will be a community of faith that is merciful to those who doubt. Doubt can be a doorway for spiritual growth. Some people haven't learned how to be spiritually dishonest yet. Someone came up to me, a newer Christian, and came up to me for prayer after service one day and said, I'm going through one of those stages where I don't believe in God again. Can you pray for me? The redemptive irony is amazing, right? Her, her faith is being demonstrated by asking for prayer in the God that she doesn't believe in. Although her doubt is not that rare in the experience of Christians, her faith and honesty in the midst of that doubt is pretty rare. See, the church hasn't traditionally been an amazing place or a good place to express our doubts. In fact, it's been one of the worst places, right? An unspoken rule in Christian spirituality has been, well, if you have doubts, whatever you do, don't share them with another Christian. They will think different of you, they will think you're less spiritual, and they may end the conversation in a, in a condescending tone saying, I'll pray for you. No, there's nothing wrong with praying for someone with doubts, but there is a lot wrong in the Christian community when we can't be honest and authentic to one another about our own spiritual journey. No, be merciful to those who doubt. God is with us in the midst of our doubts, in the midst of our despair, in the midst of our distress, in the midst of disarray. And the Bible's full of these men and women of God venting to Jesus, venting to God about what's going on in their lives and they're filled with doubt and dismay and God doesn't strike them down with lightning. We talked about this last week. The most spiritual people I know are the most honest and authentic people I know. What if honesty and authenticity were better marks of spirituality than keeping all the rules? Doubt can lead to a more examined, more thoughtful, more passionate faith. By doubting a belief and then examining it, you can decide to discard it, you can adjust it, or keep it as is, that's okay. God is in our search. Short, easy answers are the last thing that doubt and questions need. Corinthians 5, 7 says this, we live by faith, not by sight. When we think about faith, we often think it's the opposite of doubt, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible here says, we walk by faith, not by sight. It doesn't say we walk by faith, not by doubt. No, no, no. So it seems that the opposite of faith is not doubt, it's knowledge. It's knowing. It's being certain. I go back to what Mother Teresa said. Certainty is the last thing you need. Clarity is the last thing you need. Uh, you, you need to let go of it. Life's more messy than that. It says we live by faith. Does our faith leave room for doubt? As long as you have faith, you will have doubts. Let's say that, for example, I have a $5 bill in my hand, okay? Do you believe it? Do you believe that there is a $5 bill in this hand right here? Okay, some of you, maybe, maybe. Let me destroy your faith and show you that I do, in fact, have a $5 bill in my hand right now. Abe Lincoln's on it. I know this because my son is learning about all the presidents and has told me numerous times that Abe Lincoln is on it. 
Why do I say, let me destroy your faith by showing you this? Because it's no longer faith anymore. When you know something, when you are certain about something, when it is abundantly clear, it is no longer faith. It is knowledge. And the Bible doesn't say we live by knowledge, not by faith. No, no, no. It says we live by faith, not by sight. For some, faith is believing without a shadow of a doubt. But when all doubt is removed, there is no place for faith, only knowledge. The Bible doesn't say we live by knowledge. You know when you go into a, like a pizza place or maybe a, like, a, like, a, like an arcade or something, they've got these hand grips of strength things, right? And it, you, you put some quarters in it, you squeeze it, and then the meter goes up and tells you how strong you are. Um, yeah, I love those things. I don't know why, but I do. Uh, in the church, we have often equated faith with certainty. How strong you can believe, how certain you are that something is true. The people with the most faith are the ones who are most certain, as if they're the same thing. The goal of faith is to be as certain as possible. If only I can get that certainty meter up to the tallest, if only if I can squeeze it tight enough, then I'll really be a Christian. Then God will really move in my life because I truly believe it and I'm certain. If we can just squeeze hard enough, then God's gonna bless me and answer my prayers. In Mark 9, there's this boy who is demon-possessed and his father is talking with Jesus. And in speaking about whether he believes the, son, the God can heal his son, the father tells Jesus, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. Gosh, that's so true. That's so true in our hearts and our spirits in these times of distress and disarray and dissent and despair and doubt. God, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. Jesus heals the child of this doubting dad. Not because of his great faith. Not because uh, that he, was, he was certain that God would do it. No, because of his little faith, Jesus, who is the portrait of God, never condemns doubt. For some of you, that's healing. That's healing for you right now, that Jesus doesn't condemn doubt. Rather, he says that if you have the faith of a what? Mustard seed. If you, if you just got just a, a tiny bit of faith, you can move mountains. He affirms just, the, just a little bit. Mustard seed faith won't score very high on the strength test at the pizza place or the arcade. But we don't put our faith in faith. We put our faith in God. We don't put our faith in prayer. We put our faith in God. If prayer becomes your good luck charm, it can become an idol in your life. Next Sunday, I can't wait for Pastor Jonathan Martin to be with us. I don't know what he's gonna say for the finale of this series, but I know God's gonna use it. He's gonna use it in my life. He's gonna use it in your life. So this is my last sermon before Good Friday. And this dawn, of, this dawn is coming metaphor isn't about, well, life sucks, but when you die, it'll all be great. No, dawn is coming. 
When I say Donna's coming, I don't mean it just as a noun, like dawn when the sun rises every morning. I mean it as a verb as well. Dawn is a noun for sure, right? The sun rises dawn, but dawn can also be a verb. And dawn as a verb, it isn't something that happens in front of you, it's something that happens inside of you, right? When, when, when something illuminates in your own life, you go, it dawned on me. You're saying it was something I didn't notice before, I didn't see before. When I say dawn is coming, I'm saying that yes, God will make the wrong things in this world right, the light will shine, and things will get better around us and in us and through us. It's gonna get better, dawn is coming, the sun will rise, Jesus will be resurrected, that is going to happen, yes. But God doesn't want us to sit on our heels and wait. God wants to do something in us now. He wants something to dawn in me. He wants something to dawn on you. What is it that God wants to share with you through this series? Though it's not the breaking of a brand new day, this, this kind of dawn is the breaking of a brand new way. A brand new way to be human, to forgive instead of seek revenge, to love instead of hate, to give away and sacrifice instead of acquiring more for yourself. Giving, not taking. God is wanting something to dawn on you. And it's not about you. So let's get real about our doubts, our despair. We need to be honest. They say that there are three places that people are the most dishonest. Where they put on a front, they put on a show. The first is in the lobby of a fancy hotel. We begin maybe even speaking a British accent and we act like we belong, that this is kind of our place and it's no big deal. The second place where we pretend and we put on a front is in a car dealership. When we're trying to, to get the best deal, we're trying to pretend like uh, we're not panicking inside. Are we paying too much? In the third place that they've discovered the third place where we put on a charade and we don't get honest, well, that's the local church on Sunday mornings. May it not be so. May we be a place of grace. May we be a place that is merciful to those who doubt. And may we be honest and authentic about our own despair and about our own doubts because Jesus doesn't condemn that. And may that mustard seed of faith, that tiny bit of faith inside of you, inside of me, may that fan into flame to create the kind of love and life that God has called us to. May we be a community that is like the Ahava Canal, the place where faith and doubt collide. God, we pray in Jesus' name that you would Help us to be that kind of place. Help us to be that kind of people. Help us to be honest about the, our deepest desires and despairs and doubts. God, we proclaim that Prodigal Church will be a place of grace, a place that is merciful to those who doubt, because that is us. And so God, help us to open up our hearts before you, lay it all at your feet. We thank you for your grace, the grace in this place, the grace that you have showed us. We thank you, Jesus, that your posture toward us is love. 
not condemnation, that those who are in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week, Pastor Jonathan Martin will be here with us teaching the finale of our Dawn is Coming series. And if you've never heard Jonathan, you can go back on our website. Um, and he has spoken a couple times before, and he is just an absolutely uh, incredible, spirit-filled uh, follower of Jesus who is just an unbelievable communicator. And so we want to encourage you to tune in. That is our last online service our last of our only online services. We're still gonna be offering them, but we're gonna be in person on Easter and beyond every single week. And so uh, we wanna encourage you once again to maybe consider serving and volunteering as we open up our arms to be uh, the kind of community Jesus has called us to, welcoming everyone and pointing everyone to Jesus. Now help us to love God and love others. We hope to see you soon. Peace the Middle East.